from field to table and flame to fork. The pursuit of the outdoor connection is ingrained deep within one's spirit. The draw to the flame of the campfire is felt from around the world. Why do we hunt? Pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Good evening, Mr. Proctor. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Steve. How about yourself? Well, I'm not the one with itchy, scratchy lips and a closing throat. What the hell are you doing? Yeah, well, I made the mistake of having pineapple tonight, and I, I, I know better because pineapples and apples and sometimes carrots, actually, I have a slight allergy to them, and they make my, th <laughs> my throat tightens up a little bit. My lips get really itchy. And uh, you'd think that'd be a deterrent, but uh, I liked it. I like it, so I eat oh, it. Oh, but... yeah. It, it's like that, <laughs> that Simpsons with uh, Homer Simpton, Simpsons pulling the tail of the pig. Curly, straight. Yeah, curly, exactly. Straight, right? Yeah, you know you're in trouble, but you're doing it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what uh, being a guy is all about, right? That's it. No, I yeah. shouldn't do that. Ignoring, yeah. ignoring that voice that, of reason, right? That's the. <laughs> so here we are with episode six, as you reminded me off. I, I thought we were episode five, but we're just rolling right along. Episode six. We are, you know, and I've, I think we've had, we have six solid episodes uh, and we've had some oh, yeah. fantastic guests. And I think, I think great conversations. I've really enjoyed getting to know, you know, our guests better. Some of them I knew before, but you know, mm -hmm. I've never actually sat down and had these kind of conversations with them. So this has been great. I, I've been loving this platform, right? It's 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 meant to be a virtual virtual campfire, and that's that's what it's turning into. It's uh, we're we're sitting around computer monitors because it is the age of COVID. But eventually, we're all going to be able to 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 sit around a, a real campfire and and have a big BS session. This has been fun so far. So good. I'm I'm really truly enjoying this, and I yeah. Uh, Next, next week, we got a cool episode coming up, and we just had Eli Hall on for episode five. He, I can't believe that guy got up to, like, what, 26,000 feet on Mount Everest? Like, holy crap. Yeah, that's airplane. That's, that is, yeah. Like, that's not all that far below that. What, what is the 8,000 meters, right? So that's that's about at the death zone is where he Yeah, that at. is the death zone. Yeah, it's the start of it, I guess. And, uh, yeah, no, he's – yeah, the last podcast was Eli. He's, he's a very accomplished outdoorsman mountaineer, and then – well, tonight we talked deep and, yeah. uh, you know, he's, his story is great too. I mean, he's, he's from, he was born in India and, mm -hmm. uh, immigrant to Canada. He moved here when he was 15 and really hadn't thought of hunting at all until he moved to Canada and then moved to a rural part of British Columbia. And, and his story into hunting, I think is, is really quite interesting. And I think, you know, for anybody that's listening, you know, our, our millions of, of listeners, you know, some of them are both maybe, of them. That's both right. Them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, uh, they're not necessarily going to be hunters and, but if they have any interest, I think listening to somebody like deep talk about his experience will hopefully, you know, help people on their journey. If it's something they want to want to, you know, go on. Uh, but regardless, it was, it's just an interesting conversation. Oh, totally was he, what, what a fascinating guy. Um, he was our, Second, I hunt. Uh, I'll, I'll keep calling them celebrities. Give them a little bit of an ego, but just just a great story. Uh, it, not not what you expect in in the media when you when you think of a hunter, right? He's uh, he blows that stereotype right out of the water. Well, that's right. I think you know the the you know the the media and Hollywood and all that's done a good job of really stereotyping hunters in the in the worst possible way. And you know, part of what we want to do is just show the commonalities between you know the hunting and non-hunting community. And you know, we all have a variety of interests. It's not just hunting, but there's a lot of people that are hunters that you wouldn't expect. And uh, Deep's one of those people, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, although you know, probably less so for me, I because I, you know, I'd be hunting with him. Like he's just just. But you know, his story is 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 fairly unique, and and uh, I think he just represents what hunters are just, we're just from a variety of backgrounds and mm -hmm. we have, we all have our own story, but there's some spark that unites us all. And, and, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Oh, totally. Like in hearing the passion in his voice from, uh, as he, as he told the story of his first animal that he took and I, I get into it as uh, we're having a conversation, you could literally hear it and see it on his face. He had the elation, the sadness, the excitement, the disappointment, all all there and we're going back six years for him and oh, that's yeah, those memories are vivid that's that's what it's all about right is uh we we discussed that quite in depth is the, the connection we chase we're, we're not really sure what it is but everybody's got their own reason for one to be out there in the backcountry and hunt right so it's it was great and speaking of uh 
chasing memories and, and chasing animals. Bear season and turkey season is coming up pretty soon, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I guess. Uh, well, I, I don't know if it's province-wide, but I think in our two areas, bear season starts April 1st. Mm-hmm. And then turkey season starts April 15th. And, uh, you know, I really like turkey hunting. I, I that's like what bear, I keep I hearing. I like bear hunting too, but I, for anybody that's hunted elk, which is really an interactive hunt when you're, when you're calling in bull elk, turkey hunting is, is awfully similar. You're calling in these toms and, uh, it's a lot of fun, a lot of excitement, a lot of interaction. You really get to interact with the animal. And if you're successful, uh, wild turkey when cooked properly is just phenomenal. Um, and we actually have a recipe on our recipe mm-hmm. section of our, our, uh, website and for anybody, and you could use domestic turkey breast for that recipe as well, but you know, for anybody that wants something that's just going to, you know, really impress them, a recipe for turkey, especially wild turkey. That's a good one. Yeah, I'm I'm totally still planning on coming down there for April. Oh, yeah. I'm counting on it, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. What, what time of day do we have to get up for these things? Well, it's not like, you know, uh, super early, like with elk or deer. Um, I would say, you know, I like to be out, you know, within an hour of first light. No, that's not too bad. I've, I've no. seen some some shows where they're you see them getting up at two in the morning and they're in the bush at three to start hunting them at six and you know get them coming out of the roosts and stuff. That doesn't that doesn't look that fun to me. No, I, like, no. I, I'm up I'm up between five thirty and six thirty every morning, so that doesn't bother me. But being up at two or three, that no, I, I would say we'll probably even just leave my house or wherever we're hunting from. You know, we leave the place, the house around six o'clock in the morning and, you know, get to our hunting oh. at, you know, 6.30 or quarter to seven and tons of action, you know, the, where there's so many turkeys in the Kootenays here uh, and there's relatively little, relatively little hunting pressure and, hmm. and the numbers keep growing. So they're just, you know, there's just a lot of opportunity and they're, they're kind of out and about most of the day. Hmm. Well, I'm in. So, wow, this, this preamble, we're running on over seven minutes. So let's let, let's let our listen. Yeah. Let's let our listeners, uh, get on to episode six with deep Sidhu, and you and I will continue this conversation offline. The perception of hunting, you know, has changed. It's our duty now, our responsibility as hunters to change it back. We've spent the last few decades trying you know, espousing that, that message, preaching that message about wildlife conservation. You know, we've, it's fallen on deaf ears, all of our attempts. I think what, what we have to do is, is maybe uh, appeal to the emotional side or the visceral side. We have to tell our story. We know what we are. We know how deeply we care about wildlife. It's just the people out there that are, that are you know, voting to get rid of hunting, they don't understand our stories. Sometimes we, we have to translate it to something that they understand. All right, what do we add, JP? Episode five already? Or I think it's six now, isn't it? Uh, five, six, I don't know. It's all blending into one. I know, we've, we've been uh, hammering pretty hard here in the last while. Yeah, such great conversations we're having that uh, it all kind of just blends in, right? The the idea of the campfire conversations is exactly that. Oh, but and I, I'm really you, enjoying it. It's been just fantastic yeah, to be able to talk few, to so many different people. Yeah, a few people sitting around a campfire having a great BS session, getting to know each other and chat about things people around a campfire chat about. That's, so That's it. Yeah, we, we've had uh, a myriad of different people on here and it's just it's a great range of uh, diversity, I guess you'd call it, right? And it talks about hunters and how they don't fit a mold. And we've had everybody from Sue, Sue Tidwell, who was a, uh, a former uh, anti-hunter when it came to Africa, who went there and changed her view completely. She actually went there as a anti-hunter and came back, wrote a book about it and changed her view completely and saw the good that hunting does to, uh, we, we've had Hunter Lamb Pro on who gave a First Nations perspective. We had Tana Bohm, who was our first eye hunt uh, celebrity, we'll call her, uh, star. Yeah, that's right. And now, yeah, yeah she, she was great. She she was great. And she's going to love us calling her a film star, I think. Eh? 
That's right. And of course, Ken, who, uh, you know, uh, our oh, first podcast guest, he has that notoriety as well. So that was, oh. that's, yeah, I think for any, anybody who is interested in, in this podcast, definitely start with that first one. That's a very interesting one. Oh, I was attacked by a grizzly and like, that's not clickbait. That's literally what happened to Ken as, uh, him and his buddy were, uh, set up for the night on a hunt. They, yeah, I'm not even going to get too much into it, but yeah, they literally attacked by a grizzly and Ken gets into it. So speaking of eye hunt, we have another one of our eye hunt. We'll call you a celebrity. We got Mr. Deep Sidhu. How's it going, Deep? Good. How are you guys? Not bad. Not bad. I appreciate you joining us. I, uh, so yeah, for everybody that may have seen you, they, they they got one minute, one minute of getting to know you. So we got about an hour here. So we're going <laughs> to sit down, have a BS session, get to know you a little bit more. So yeah, appreciate you coming on Deep and let's get to know you a little bit better. So Let's, hey, here's the beer and crack it and uh, tell us a bit about you. Who are you? Where'd you come from? Sure. So the name is Deep Sidhu. Um, I was born in India. My family moved here when I was 15 years old. So I was in grade 10. Uh, went through school, university, became an accountant. Uh, didn't care about hunting at all up until I got a chance to move to the Kootenays in 2014 for a job, <clears throat> uh, an accounting job. So I moved there and I've always loved eating meat and cooking. And I was always intrigued by hunting, but I never really knew how to kind of get into it, right? So part of me, like I started asking questions and you know, there's so much to explore in Kootenays. I had a four by four, so I'd part around, things like that. So. Anyways, I slowly got into there, but uh, that's a little bit about me. A very short, brief introduction. Um, I've known Jonathan for about, what, four years now, Jonathan? Four or five years? Yeah, probably. I'd say at least that, yeah. Yeah, and you helped me guide the right way into conservation and kind of first species to look for and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's a little bit about me. We'll, we'll get more into it. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Not, that's... I kind of want to start at the beginning here. So what I find really intriguing about your story, Deep, is you came to Canada at 15. Now, you spoke some English when you came to Canada? Yeah, funny story. I actually went to a convent school. So belonged. To, I grew up in the state of Punjab, which is about 300 kilometers northwest of Delhi, close to Pakistan. Sure, border with Pakistan, actually. About 50K from Pakistan is where I was born. And... Uh, but my parents, they both, my mom was a teacher. My dad uh, was a banker for a bit, but then he had a degree in horticulture. So he went into the agriculture industry working for the government. Anyway, so they thought, okay, there's too much corruption in India. Let's get our kids out of here. They're not going to find a job without, you know, paying the dues and whatnot. So they got me out, or me and my brother out, uh, came here and, you know, you do your basic immigrant stuff. Right. Um, work, school, work, school, go to school, get a degree, get work, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, hunting was never on my mind, ever. So so when you were living in India before you came to Canada, had you ever thought about like, have you read stories about, you know, adventures in the oh. mountains of North America, that sort of thing? No, funny story, actually. <clears throat> so there's, there's always, there's game in India, but people overhunted it. Right, because agriculture where I lived was a, the number one source of income. So they like you know chop down trees, jungles, whatever it is, make it flat, and you know do the things you can. And government made it illegal. You would only get a permit there if your crops are being destroyed. Right, and that's to the best of my knowledge. So one day, I remember my dad brought like two big jugs of Nilgai pickle. Right. You can still find them in, in Texas, right? Because they exported them out and whatnot. And I was hooked. It was it was a pickle. We call it a pickle, but I think it was more like it's cooked in crap ton of oil so you can preserve it, right? And it was delicious. But I never heard of like American hunting or anything like that. Like hunting was not on the radar. It's not something in your world no. at all at that time. No. No, but that Neil guy pickle that I had was hunted because 
one farmer had a field that was being destroyed by a herd. So they would just give out permits. Now, and Now, is that like a type of antelope or deer? I think it's closer to elk size, but a little bit smaller. Maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. It's like oh. N-I-L-G-A-I is, is what it's called. And it's a little bit smaller than elk and it's got like two little antlers. Okay, so fairly good size animal then, yeah. Yeah, fairly good size animal. Tasty too. <laughs> what I can remember. I would like I was allowed to have like one pickle a day, I remember, and then I would go grab like three or four and chuck the bones out to the next lot. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It was just a parent. I didn't want my parents to find out that I had more than what I was allowed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking at them online here, they uh they the males can get up to six hundred and forty pounds. Oh wow, that's yeah, that's like a kind, small kind of like looks, a caribou size, actually. It kind of looks like a uh Almost like a kudu with short antlers yes, or short horns. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I'd call it there. It's kind of, kind of weird looking. Yeah. They have it in Texas. You can go hunt yeah. them. Kudu, huh. kudu body with like a deer head and like goat horns. It's weird. Yes. You nailed weird. it. And, and tasty <laughs> by the sounds of it. And tasty. Hey. Yeah. That's and my dad actually, when he got to go get it, I'm like, how did you get it? I remember the stories. Like they had these, three guys on a Jeep and the driver, they would go out and hunt them. And then they had one guy would know they would for sure. They knew they would get it. Right. So one guy had like sticks laid out about half a foot high from the ground. Cause as soon as they bring it back, they're going to gut it out. They didn't want to get it dirty. Right. And uh, that's all I remember, but yeah. And then you take it to the cook and makes this pickle out of it. They call it pickle, but I, it's almost like curried meat and a lot of oil and a bunch of spices to preserve it. Well, that's yeah, that's, that's like really the, interesting. I yeah, I I wouldn't have even known that was going on in India. That's that's really quite fascinating. So there's but extremely limited hunting there, and it's always for I suppose for uh, uh, protection of crops, that sort of thing. That's the motivation behind protection that. of crops is what I know. Yeah, yeah. And then there's feral pigs that. I mean, don't quote me on it, but I, I know people hunt them with dogs and whatnot just because they're, again, plowing through the crops. Yeah, right? they're so mm-hmm. prolific. I don't see how you couldn't hunt them if you had them in your country because otherwise they would just, you know, you'd have one every square meter. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are the only two items at that time. Like, I was a 15-year-old kid. I didn't know much. Those are the only two things I'd heard of. Right. Right. I, I never looked back into, like, what was allowed now. Uh, in terms of hunting, I'm sure like if a tiger or something came into a village and is eating up their cows, I'm sure a permit would be granted, but I don't know the regulations. Right. Hmm. So you end up coming to Canada at 15 and you, you know, you, you do the, you know, go to school, go to university, uh, living in a urban landscape, lower mainland of British Columbia. Yeah. And then you have this opportunity, you said in 2014, right, to move to the Kootenays? 2014, um, I actually really liked to visit Okanagan, right? I'm like, I don't like Lower Mainland that much. And I'm like, I want to get out and always used to vacation there for weekends and whatnot. I'm like, I want to try living away from Lower Mainland. And um, 2014, I got a chance. And yeah, that's where it all started. That bug of being in the outdoors, what it would feel like to get your own meat. Now, what I mean, there's it's one thing to you know come to an area like the Kootenays and just enjoy the outdoor space, but what made you think about hunting? Because that's that's a little bit different. I don't. It's I thought about it today, right before the podcast, and and the only thing I can come up with is like I love meat, I love cooking meat, right, and and I loved camping before that. So I just wanted to be outdoors and I wanted to, maybe I, I don't, I didn't think about it being like a lifelong thing. I think, I think I just wanted to maybe try it once and see where it went, but it was like, I was psychotic about it. I wanted to try it. I didn't know much about it. Um, I just needed to see how people hunted. Maybe I think that's what it was. And I asked around, like, some of the co-workers who, work, who hunted, and some people don't give out much information or they don't have time. And, you know, it's, it's intimidating to get into. Like, you don't know much, right? But, um, yeah, that's 
I think it's my love for the meat mm-hmm. is what got me intrigued into it. So, so you mentioned coworkers that hunt. What do you do for work? I'm an well, I'm an accountant by trade, but right now I do financial analysis. I don't. I, every time I do, every time I say I'm an accountant, it's like, oh, it must be busy season for you now. I'm like, I don't do tax. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I hear accountant. I understand. I know what an accountant is. What's a, a financial analyst do? Um, lots of things. So I work in retail industry right now for a large multi-billionaire, multi-billion organization. And my goal is, or my job is to project trends on how we're going to land for the month and expenses and sales and how much other vendors are going to pay us. It's just a whole bunch of projections and making sure we're on track on budget and then budgeting for things. It's just, it's a whole lot of things that kind of hard to explain the nitty gritty of it, but it's making sure the company is on track to meet its goals, basically. Gotcha. Yeah. Like I'm not a numbers guy. Like if I, I pull up my phone and go, okay, hold on. And my nine-year-old daughter will come over and go, no, 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 no. You're doing it that way. You've heard of bed mass and ped mass and carry that. And like, no, not anymore. Like you're going back a long time, kid. So I, to, to me, I, I uh, lived in the lower mainland till about 15 years ago. I lived right in Vancouver and grew up there and hunting was, was not something that was talked about in the mainstream down there. And I, I had relatives that hunted, but it was never a, it was never a conversation I really had at work. So when you, you were at work trying to have these conversations, were you the one bridging them to these people or was it just something you kind of overheard? Like you're sitting around a campfire and went, Hey, wait a minute. And threw your, your thoughts in there to kind of feel around. The idea came to me first that I want to find out about hunting. And then I heard guys talking about hunting and I would go up to them like, Hey, you know, I'm new. I want to hunt. And Kootenays is a place where it's easier to talk about hunting than versus lower mainland. People who don't hunt are okay with hunting or more people who don't hunt are okay with hunting compared to lower mainland. So it's, it wasn't a big thing. Like I told my manager, she never hunted before. And she's like, really, you know what you're doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get into it. And she's like, how are you going to do it? I'm like, I'll figure it out. Right. I'll figure it out, but I want to try it. She's like, do you even know how to process an animal? I'm like, I'll figure it out. There's YouTube, (laughs) you know? So there was, people were more open to talk about hunting. And and so there wasn't that stigma associated with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're a lot less likely to step on a landmine here than you are in the lower mainland if you bring that up, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And I've yeah. talked about it here as well in my current work, only with people who are reasonable. Mm-hmm. And it's gone okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely find that as well. Like, I, I've got friends uh, on my Facebook that everybody on there knows I hunt, but there, there's some that I used to have a friend on there uh, going back 15 some odd years ago that was a vegan. And she would make comments on my, my post. I'd post a deer and she'd go, so did you kill it? And my friends that live up here would immediately run to the rescue. No, well, if he did, it's in his freezer. And she goes, no, I just, just curious. I know he hunts. I'm just curious. I don't have anything wrong with it. It was just, she wasn't morally opposed to it. She just had different views of sustainable use. Right. And that's, that's what I find is vegans vegetarians and hunters we're very 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 similar we all want the same thing we want sustainable food we want renewable resources we want what's best for the animals we want what's best for the landscape right we none of us wants to see uh extinction extirpation we don't want to see ravaged oceans we don't want to see ravaged trees it's just we're we're 99 the same that one percent where we differ is the use of the animal Right? right. So it's, it's an interesting conversation to have. And she was always very, very supportive and people be like, Hey, like literally jump on her without realizing, yeah. Hey, wait a minute. No, it's okay. I, I often thought that too. I think a lot of hunters, I think could have, especially adult onset hunters that hunt as a result of, you know, that, that ethical dilemma regarding eating meat, which some people have, uh, 
could sort of become a hunter or become a vegan or vegetarian. You know what I mean? I think yeah. it's, sometimes it can go one of those two ways because there's this, people get to this existential point in their lives where like, you know, they realize that, you know, buying, and again, I don't want to come down on farmers for sure, but I mean, some of the models of industrial food production aren't, you know, as far as sort of the animal welfare side of things go, uh, you know, leave quite a bit to be desired. And, and that's just, that's just a fact. I don't think anybody could really argue that, um, at least not convincingly. And I think a lot of people come to that. They they realize that if they're going to eat meat, they've got to decide how they're going to do that. And I think it, a lot of people come to the conclusion that the the ethical, the most ethical, at least way of of uh, getting meat is by hunting animals that are uh, managed properly, and there's a harvestable surplus of them. I hundred percent agree. Like I've only harvested one animal so far, deer, and. Every time I ate it, I made sure, like, I sucked the bones out and everything. There was, like, little waste, you know. So I, I 100% agree. And well, I, you've, you've taken some grouse, though, too, haven't you, in the last oh, year? Oh, kind of grouse so far, yeah. yeah. Well, my yeah. first, first harvest would be a grouse. Yeah. And, and I, I don't want anybody to ever minimize the joy no. of grouse hunting and the beauty of the meat. Oh. I mean, that's yeah. if that's all you ever hunt, that's pretty awesome, in my opinion. Oh yeah. I mean, you know what? Like I've never returned home without grouse and it's, it's so nice. I mean, you can, you know, tell your family, Hey, I got something, you know, even though I didn't harvest a big animal, I got four grouse, you know, make a pot out of it. Right. But yeah, nothing goes to waste when you harvest an animal yourself. I think that's the beauty of it. Like you, I mean, you feel little bit of grief, but then you also feel that, you know, you did it yourself in the most ethical way possible. Like that was one of the things, like, I think a lot of our viewers would know this, but I mean, it's, it's instant death for that grouse. It's done right away. Right. And I always shoot with a 22. So it's headshots only, but yeah, I agree with you. It wasn't Joe Rogan. I think Joe Rogan mentioned once, like a long time ago, that he was either going to go vegan or become a hunter. Yeah, I, I heard that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Right. So yeah, that resonates with what you're talking about. Like we're so close that we care so much. So you go either way. Exactly. Right. You get to that like that fork in the road, and you're standing there, and you're going, "I'm going left or I'm going right." And that's a tough decision for a lot of people to make. I, I know people that got their hunting license and they just could not go through. They, they've had animals in the sites and they couldn't pull the trigger. They said, I can't do it. I can't do it. And they, it, and I completely respect and understand that it's a tough decision to, to pull the trigger and consciously end a life. But in, in order, it, the way I, I'd look at it inside, because I've said it for years, no matter what you do on the face of the earth, in order for us to live, something has to die. 100%. And I, I would prefer to make that conscious decision myself and know where my food comes from and know a true field to table, right? And that you get a deeper connection that way, I find. Absolutely. Because yeah. I think a lot of people are okay with a surrogate doing their killing for them, you know, whether it be, you know, somebody butchering an animal and they just buy it at the store or even somebody who's a vegetarian that's just eating plant matter. Uh, there's, there's a huge cost to animals in, in agriculture. Right, even I mean, direct death from harvesting crops, and also displacement of wildlife. So it's just if 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 you have a mouth, you're going to have an impact, mm -hmm. right? And I think you just got to decide what that impact is going to look like. But deep, I, I want to. I'm curious about. Okay, so you're in the Kootenays now, and you're talking to people that are giving you some information about hunting. Like, how did you? Like, how, what were the steps that you followed to have a hunting license and a rifle in your hand and be out in the field? Like, can you walk us through that a little bit? Because I think some of the people that are listening to this that don't hunt that might be interested would be interested in hearing, you know, that process from your perspective. Sure. That's such a great question because I remember tell, like talking to myself that this is so intimidating. Like, how do I start? Right. And then, you know, I'm an analyst, so I do a lot of research. So I had a few things uh, done for myself. Like I know I got to get the core done before I even like do anything. Core, pal, you get the basics done, right? And then, then you have your regulations in BC, which in itself, I mean, now like I've memorized most of the areas that I 
you know, hunting. I, I know them all now. But man, when I first looked at it, I'm like, these are just digits and species. Like, what is this? Right? Then you have to identify species like before you even go out. So there was a lot of YouTube involved in terms of identifying species. But the analyst and me, like, you know, okay, I live in region four. I live close by here. Just focus on these three zones around you because that's where I'm going to go out when I'm ready. Right. I'm not going to go out to the Yukon. I'm not going to go out anywhere. So don't worry about like other places. Worry about your immediate zones. Right. So know your regulations. So and that person has to do regardless. Right. New hunter or a seasoned hunter. You have, I mean, regulations change all the time. So do that. I mean, those three things, getting PAL, the hunting license, the firearms license, and knowing regulations, you can do on your own. The hard, then selecting a firearm. I got lucky, man. Kootenays is a nice place. So I, I researched, okay, what firearm to buy. And tons of, you know, debates online. Um, 30 caliber, if you're new. Use 30 caliber farm. I ended up with 30 odd six. Okay, that'll do. Okay, my basics are set. Okay, now I need to go into the field. I know nothing about it. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Funny story is actually, I was, I was trying to say Kootenays is a nice place in the sense that the guy I bought the firearm from, we met at the range. He actually showed me the ropes. Say, okay, this is how you sight it in. This is, I mean, sight it in at, one inch above 100 yards and right or wrong whatever the approach might be is like most likely you're going to see an animal within 100 150 and you're probably good to go point and shoot it. i'm like okay great sounds good then practicing that you know again a funny story i bought a 22 and 30 odd six and i shot the 22 okay no problem it's okay it's nice and fun then i got the 30 yard out and i shot it at the range and i was just stunned never shot a 30 yard mm -hmm. I'm stunned you know why because I didn't have my earplugs on oh, oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> rookie's first time at the range right and anyways so you know you get your hunting license your 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 um, farms license you know your regulations you practice at the range all these things you can learn from YouTube by your own and and practice right last part field work so I bugged Jonathan. So there's this hunting BC site, right? Mm -hmm. So what I did is I looked at people who comment there a lot and I would just cold message them nicely. Be like, hey, new hunter trying to get into hunting. If you have any pointers, that would be highly appreciated. And I, in the Kootenays, I met with four people. Jonathan was one of them. There were three other people. And, uh, Luckily, I connected. Johnson gave me a lot of knowledge, and I'm like, okay, I have my ducks in a row. He pointed me to a couple mountains. I remember that locally. But the fourth guy was, he was going to go on a trip, and he's like, Deep, if you have your center fire rifle, come on along. I'm like, okay, sure. So he took me away, and uh, that day I learned so much about the technical part of hunting, right? Like, okay, watching the wind. Um, uphill, downhill, walking the tree line, kind of what cut blocks to walk through, close to a water source, getting familiar with the farm, the field, um, getting a proper stance or, or sitting place to sit at. And I actually saw three does that day, right? And I was just hooked that day. I'm like, because there's the analyst in me, I'm technical, and I'm like, okay, I have to watch for so many things. I can't just go into field and shoot an animal. Okay, I like this challenge, right? So I think that got me hooked into hunting. And, and maybe I'm lucky that way. I'm sure there's a lot of people who, especially in lower mainland perhaps, who don't have that support, right? But um, yeah, that, that kind of got me into hunting. And the biggest challenge was the field work, like, getting to know the basics. And then I went with him again, and that's when I got successful. And the first year I got successful, I was hooked. Can you can you tell us that story? Sure. 
I we were not expecting like a big hunt. It was like an evening hunt, right? And this guy's an IT professional. Again, not like a lifelong hunter. He had been hunting for well, he actually, sorry, my bad. He hunted when he was young with his dad. Then he didn't hunt for 25 years. Now he's in his he's 52 and he just started hunting again. Right? So <clears throat> we went out again. Uh evening hunt, low key, same spot where we first saw some does, right? Same spot, whitetail season. Um, he's like, okay, we've seen this area before. You sit there. I'll go around the lake, try to see if I can bump anything, right? And maybe he did. Um, and it's snowing. It's like wet, wet, wet snow. And I'm like drenched in water. I don't have proper clothes. My, my scope is foggy trying to be patient as possible. And then all of a sudden I see a white-tailed doe come in, right? And it was just, and she was locked. Her eyes were locked to me. I'm like, okay, I'm either busted, but I stood still because that's what I had researched, I guess. But I kind of looked around, no fawns. I'm like, okay, this is possible. But I was standing at that time and my gun was sitting on a stump right next to me. And I know deer are spooky. Um, so anytime she, so we locked eyes and then I'm, I'm still, and she would, you know, bow down to kind of graze or whatever. And I would move like a little bit to grab my gun. And as soon as I move a second, like, a, like I don't know, five inches, her eyes would come up, up, up again. I'm like, okay, I got to do this slow. Then we would lock eyes again. And it took like, for me, it like took like five minutes. Anyways, and as soon as I had my gun, um, got her in the scope and 30 six Smith and Wesson, 1500, 1983, Woodstock, Bushnell scope, like an old one. Uh, yeah, I got her in the lungs and she went like nine yards, right? And then my partner, he heard the gunshot he came back with blaze orange vest on just to make sure that I'm not panicking <laughs> shooting even though I wasn't going to. And I was, I was shivering, man. Like that shiver, I can't explain. I've never had it before. Yeah, that's I didn't that post adrenaline shiver. I've had that before mm-hmm. myself. Oh, it was just like, it was so bad. Like I, I, I froze and uh, I waited for him to come because I could see the deer. It was like, the shot was 40 yards. I was off super close. 40, I don't even know, 40, 50 maybe. And then she went, what, 8, 10 yards, and I could see her. You know, I saw her tumble. I'm like, okay, safe. Don't have to track. Waited for him. He had to hold my arm. He's like, you good? I'm like, so you want a picture of the animal? I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> Take the picture. This is evening hunt, so it's kind of getting dark, 20 minutes till dark. Uh we're close to our truck. So he brings a truck. We put the lights on. Now, by this time, I have proper gear from like watching YouTube videos. Like, I have tarps. Like, I'm prepared to hang this thing in a tree somewhere. Like, I don't even know how to do it, but I have the equipment. So that's one another important part, like having the proper equipment. I have knives. I have a knife sharpener. He has his own knives. So he's telling me, it's like, start here, do this, do that. And then then he gave me a bunch of instructions. He's like, do this and I'll be right back. I got to go grab something. Maybe he left something in where he was. And that kind of spooked me. I'm like, I got to do this on my own. Like he wanted me to like go inside and, you know, get the parts and whatnot, clear it out. And I did it. And it kind of felt good. I'm like, okay, this is good. And we got it out right there. We skid it out. We put it to parts. Then we don't, I don't have a cooler. Go to Canadian Tire, buy a 150 liter cooler, 220 bucks right away, a bunch of ice, put it on there. And yeah, Bob's your uncle. That was the first hunt. It was having success the first year hooked me on hunting. I think if I wasn't successful first three years, maybe I would have quit. Because I haven't had success after for a large game. Mm-hmm. This is 2016. Yeah, but you keep doing it. 
I keep doing it. There's that connection. I keep doing it. Like this year could have been successful and that just could have been Mm -hmm. is going to get me back next year. Yeah. Yeah. What I I thought was really cool about that, that story is as, as somebody who's taken a bunch of animals, I can relive the same moments watching your face and listening to your inflection. You were doing the gamut that you were sitting there. You watched it come in. You got excited. Then you're like, okay. And then you got up here, you pulled the trigger and then down here, the, that whole story, you're reliving it even six years later. Oh yeah. That's right. Yeah. And oh, what's I interesting. Vividly remember it vividly. Absolutely. Well, you do. I was just going to comment on that too. I mean, how many people that, that eat meat, even if they buy a bunch at one time and it's in their freezer, have any connection to the animal that they're eating like like a hunter. Like think about that. Like the the story you just told, I mean, that's that doe will live in your mind until your mind is no more. You know, that's that's yeah. a that's a big thing. Yeah. yeah. And you know, we we cook beef steaks, right? That we buy from the supermarket and you know, a couple three minutes each side, blah blah blah. There's no thought to it. Absolutely zero thought. Right? Mm-hmm. Every time I cook that deer I made sure the side was perfect. The salad was perfect. Like it was a special meal for me. You know, I paid way more attention cooking the animal that I took than cooking chicken or beef I buy from the store. Yeah. There's no emotion to to store bought, right? All right, go get a roast. You you look at it and you go, okay, that's the size I need. Right. And you you put it in the, the oven or whatever you're doing. And like we, we, we had tacos tonight. It's we, we had moose tacos and we got a, a giant moose this past September. And I know every step first saw the moose, every single step from when it got on the airplane with us to, to picked up from the butcher, right? It's yeah. just a connection unless that, unless you've actually done it, you don't really understand. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, yeah, I totally agree with you. Right. And you'll remember every animal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even every grouse, I can tell you every grouse I've killed and where Mm -hmm. and how I saw that grouse. And like, oh, man, like it's, it's surreal. Like it's, it's not like I'm excited, like beyond means that, oh, I killed another living thing. No, it's not. It's it's not. There's, it's bittersweet. That's right. It's bittersweet. I think that's the word. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I the, whenever you pull the trigger, you you literally the minute you see that animal and you realize, okay, I'm going to make an attempt at pulling the trigger on it. You hit every single emotion that a person mm-hmm. can feel in the time it takes to stock up, pull the trigger, recover that animal. Like you, you, you're elated to sad mm-hmm. in yeah. seconds. Yeah. Seconds. It's, it's it's not an easy process to take a life, and I, I think that's that's one of the big uh, myths that us as hunters need to really try and communicate to the non-hunter a little bit more. They they you touched on it at the beginning of your story there that you had to actually work to get out there, right? And you have to you have to take a firearms license, you have to take a hunting license, and you need to get regulations, and you need to get your t- your tags. It's it's not just a shooting gallery. And I think that's a lot of the myths that uh, are perpetuated uh, by the community to try and shut hunting down. They, they imply that us as hunters go out there, we shoot with reckless abandon, whatever we want, and there's no licensing or, or permits or science involved. And I think that's, that's pretty, pretty crappy. Not at all. I, I, I remember it was so intimidating, but I'm like, I got to learn the regs and regulations is what I mean by regs. And, um, and the other part is learning how to identify species. So living in the Kootenays, like if I were in lower mainland, I would never see a white tail or a mule deer. I wouldn't know what they look like, what the differences are. You can Google all you want, but once it comes in the field, the adrenaline shoots up so high. Like you have to know the basics of what a white tail and a, and a mule deer looks like. So living in the Kootenays helped me a lot. You see deer all the time, right? You know, okay, this is white tail, this is mule deer. Oh yeah, it's got black tail, white tail, you know. I, I find white tail a lot prettier. I think it's like well-groomed deer, right? That's what I think of white tail mm-hmm. deer. Yeah, you're opening the can of worms there. There's lots of guys <laughs> that say the opposite, but- We'll, we'll, put his e- we'll put his email in the comments. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> But no, you're, you're right. I think that is one of the beauties of being a hunter is the fact that 
I mean, you, you start with the basics and it's always exciting. I mean, you're, you're, you're seeing your first species of certain animals. You're, you're interacting with them. You're seeing their tracks. You're seeing their droppings, where they bedded down. Things that somebody who doesn't hunt probably would never pay attention or even know what they were looking at. Yeah. And, you know, I've been hunting a long time and I still feel like, like I know a lot, but I still feel like what I don't know could fill a library. You know, it's just, right. there's so much to know and there's so much to learn. And it's, especially when you start getting into the behaviors of animals and, and uh, you know, where you expect to see them, things like that. And, and yeah, I just find that's one of the, one of the things I really like about being a hunter and a forager for that matter. It's not just hunting, just, you know, foraging is yeah. it, it, it does offer that opportunity for lifelong learning. I mean, you, you're never, you never get to that point where you're like, okay, I just, I know everything now. I, I don't have to learn anymore. That's, that's not something you can ever achieve. And I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. You know, that's like, that goes for even your own work, like work that pays you. If you tell, like you can't get to perfection. I think like as an analyst, I can't become the perfect analyst. There's always something to learn. Right. And I, I want to tell something to the new hunters or people who are trying to get in hunting. It's like, yeah, I shot that deer the first year. It's not like I never got a chance after it. The next year, I remember November long weekend, last light, 150 yards, same Smith & Wesson, L1500, Bushnell scope, downhill shot, 150 yards, four or three point whitetail. I just didn't want to take that shot just because too dark. I don't have good optics. I could have maybe, I don't know, winged it, but I didn't want to. The person inside me is like, okay, you're going to take a bad shot. So I've had a chance every year that I did not take, right? So it's not when I say that it's been five years since I shot my first animal. Yes, it's been, but opportunities came, but they just weren't perfect. And that's hunting, I think. Yeah. Well, then that says something about you too deep. I mean, the, the fact that you you want your shot to be as ethical as possible because of the respect you have for the animal you're hunting. I mean, that's a huge thing. And, and yeah. to me, that that's one of the markers of maturity in a, in a hunter is the fact that, you know, you're willing to let an animal walk if you don't feel that it's the right situation. And uh, I mean, in, in, in most of the time when guys don't listen to that instinct, unless they get really lucky, they end up really disappointed and they end up regretting it. I mean, and that's, that's awesome that you're, you're mature enough basically to, as a hunter already to know that, you know, you, you, it, it's either the right, presentation the right opportunity or it isn't and and that's that's something well it shows you right there that it's about more than the kill right oh yeah like i mean last year we were sitting my part i got i'll get into that in a second i got my brother-in-law into hunting but we were sitting in this knob and we could see out to 500 yards but it was like you had like these slow rolling hills with tons of bush in it right and sitting there 400 i had ranged out with the range finder like where deer could possibly come up, memorized them. Okay, if, like if I don't have time to think, this is 200, 150. And where the deer showed up, it was 289 yards, right? Now I've practiced up with 300 yards at my range regularly. Every time I go to the range, that's that's what I practice. And uh, 289, there was a ton of brush and I had maybe a window of, five to 10 seconds to take a shot, but 289 is, is far away from me, right? And even though I've practiced in like a super stable condition at 300, but off of like a shooting stick, it's really hard. So, I mean, that deer walked, I mean, it was disappointing that after two years, I had a good opportunity, I had a good buck, but I, you know, I let it pass and I saw I walk up this little knob again and off it goes. So it's, that's hunting. It's, but I told my, the, my brother-in-law that I got into hunting, like, man, aren't we having fun? Aren't we cooking like good steaks at the end of the night? You know, you go back to where you're sleeping, you know, you're cooking potatoes and meals you don't normally eat and have a couple beers, watch a movie, whatever. Like, I mean, it's all, we're getting away from, the hustle and bustle of lower mainland too. Like there's that, there's that's a 50% for me, actually. Portion is getting away, mm-hmm. getting into the outdoors. Absolutely. Yeah. You disconnect, yeah. disconnect to reconnect, right? Yeah. I almost got lost this last year. Oh, oh let's <laughs> do that one. Eddie, 
Let's hear that story. <laughs> oh, same same day where I shot, where I passed on that deer. Um, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go onto the other side, 500 yards away, and there's like so many little roads and zigzag. And I made the mistake to sit till the last light. Uh, truck keys are with me. My partner is close to the truck. That was the mistake, actually. He could have come and looked after me, right? And pitch dark. I don't know which way to go, but I will. I always take screenshots on Google Maps, right? I take screenshots. You can see little roads, mm-hmm. and there was luckily cell service there. So I compared myself to the screenshots that I had taken and roughly knew where a truck was. I had actually walked past the road I should have taken, walked in pitch dark, like 2K. And I started like, you start to panic. I started yelling for my partner and like no response back. Okay, tons of trees, absorbs a lot of sound. Anyways, I trust my gut. I'm like, this is where I am. This is where I'm supposed to be based on the screenshots I'd taken earlier, walked back and I found them. But that, you know, we hear a lot about a lot of accidents, right? People getting lost, but. Yeah, it's it's actually amazing how easy it is to happen. They don't get lost. I think that's one thing you learn too, is that you realize, geez, I can get lost. Like it, it's, it, it really does make you think yeah. about your strategy to make sure you can get back to where you need to get back to. So what's my your partner, partner told me, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, partner he's like, he waved at me. I could see the blaze orange. He's like, right? Like he was waving like, I'm like, five more minutes. Five more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what's your key takeaway from that story? Uh, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. If you're new, if you don't know that terrain, that was the first time I went there. Mm-hmm. Right. I should have, I underestimated how long it would take me to get to my vehicle. I thought, because when I went there after passing on that deer, I had high adrenaline. Like I was walking fast. Like I took the long way because I didn't want to spook the area, right? So I took a long, long way to the other side. And having that adrenaline, I underestimated. I was walking fast perhaps. I don't know how long it took. It's a miscalculation. But it was a good about 40-minute walk back, right? But I had actually gone 2K in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was – it was I was panicked. And I – anyways, I go up to a part and I'm like, hey, did you hear me? I was yelling. He's like, I couldn't hear a thing. And he's like, I was going to – he was going to wait another five minutes and come back and look for me. But I'm like, okay. I was lucky, man. Oh, yeah. And little, like, squirrels running around, they scare the crap out of you. Yep. Uh, everything's so much farther in the dark i find it's like all right i'm just around the corner here and holy crap look at the gps oh god no it's way farther it's amazing how how courage evaporates when the sun goes down too when you're out out the bush like you know during the day you'll wander anywhere as soon as it's dark like oh man i don't want to be here anymore is that a grizzly bear (laughs) yeah totally well and and the thing about being a human is most of your sensory inputs visual right as soon as it's dark you've lost your number one sense you're that's right you're kind of helpless and i mean you're you got a headlamp maybe or something but outside that little beam of light you're you're out of your element but that headlamp only illuminates straight in front of you you hear something behind you you can't shoot around fast enough right it's like what the hell is that and i'll tell you what i had i had a round in the chamber safety off you know it was like I, I couldn't see anything, but it just made me feel good. What screwed me was there was another guy with same set of tires. Like I read tires really well. I have Duratec tires, and I know my tread pattern. And it had snowed freshly, right? So we we had taken our truck around and then had come back. But then there was another guy that went the wrong way, had the same set of tires. So I'm looking at the tires. I'm like, these are my truck's tires. <laughs> So I followed the tires. Wow, what are the odds of that, eh? <laughs> that's 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 nuts. But the, the good thing is, is you learned you learned out of it, and uh, you're here to talk to us. So that's that's yeah. a good thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah. One one thing I want to ask. I know we're we got to run about forty five minutes here, so we uh, you know we've got a few more things we want to talk about. Uh, and one thing I'd, I'd really wanted to ask you is, did you find any particular barriers to getting into hunting as an adult onset hunter? And do you feel like, you know, having not been born in Canada and, and uh, you know, so there's always that little bit of a barrier with that. Do you think that affected you in any way negatively or like what, what did you find with that? 
like um, it would be a lot easier if my family hunted, right? So the passing of knowledge would have saved me a lot of time and working full time and just starting hunting out takes a lot of time. Man, exploring new places takes time. Weekends take time. Um, and you don't get nothing or you don't even see anything. I think, yeah, the consumption of time is the biggest barrier. Learning, looking for signs takes time. To me, that's the biggest barrier. You can get your core, the hunting license and PAL license in, in a relatively, you know, quick period of time. There's background checks and whatnot. Like mm-hmm. you have to pass exams. That's for sure. But if you have clean record, you'll get it. But it's it's learning this, the sport. Yeah, it's definitely, it's easier with a mentor, right? I, oh, I, I, I did my, uh, the first time I ever went hunting, I was probably about eight years old with my grandfather and my great uncle, like back when you could go to, to school and pull a kid out for a weekend without permission, it was just, my grandfather showed up <laughs> and said, we're going hunting. My, my mom yeah. had no idea, just showed up at the house and my grandpa said, well, we're going hunting. And I showed up at the the camp where my dad and his two brothers were. And my dad went, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> and they had a couple of big black tails hanging there and they put a, my grandfather had put a, a red nose on one of them, of course, because it was the end of November and I as an eight-year-old freaked out, thought that Santa wasn't coming. But yeah, and then I then I didn't hunt till I was in my, God, mid-twenties. I didn't even think of it because living in Vancouver, right? And then right. then it was, this is this is something I'm chasing. I, I don't know what it is. I, I, I don't, back then, it wasn't really about the animal. It was just, there, there was something inside me that I needed to find. And getting outside did that for me. So yeah, um, this it, it it's crazy thinking about where everybody is from. Like I was, I was born in the UK, came to the bank, came to the mainland. You were born in India, came to the mainland. JP, you're in the Kootenays, and we've all we're, we're from completely different walks of life, and we've all got that one commonality, right? Sitting around a virtual campfire, and we all are chasing something that we can't really say what it is, right? Is it the animal? Is it the connection? Is there something spiritual? Is it something in our past we're trying to reconnect with? And I think that's really, really, uh, no matter where you go and who you talk to, is a commonality we share as hunters, right? There's there's just something that you can't really say. Because if I say to you, why did you become a hunter? Everybody's going to give a different answer, even though we're, we're doing the same thing. So what I want to know is we're, we're, we're 10 minutes out. Besides hunting, what do you like to do for fun? What are your what are your hobbies? Hobbies, I like to I I ride a motorcycle, so okay. I do less here than I did in the Kootenays because I mean you're on nice roads within <laughs> five minutes. Here you got to get out of Hope at least an hour away from here mm-hmm. to get into a good road. So that's something I really enjoy. I enjoy camping as well, right? And what I've learned about being in Lower Mainland is started loving picnicking you know so i'll drive out an hour to jones lake you know take bar portable barbecue take my things have a little campfire um stay until five o'clock and then come back with friends and family like that's what i because i need to get to the outdoors more frequently and you get lost when you live in a city You, you just think you don't have time so you think you need like trips weekend or weekend long or long weekend long trips but i try to go out frequently for a day trip so when did yeah. you when did you start motorcycling i used to work in kitsilano and uh-huh. the only, yeah so lived in surrey the old portman bridge would take me an hour and a half every day and then mm-hmm. hov lane was the only answer <laughs> <laughs> so it was out of necessity then it was out of necessity but i like to that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, you touched on there that you like to drive just to get out and reconnect and you picnic to reconnect. And there, there's a lot of similarities just in that couple of minutes there between motorcycling and hunting. Yeah. You want fresh air. Exactly. You want fresh air. You're, you're, you want to be free. You want to be outside. You're, yeah. you, you get your solitude, 
but you're you're also you're 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 chasing that connection to the outdoors no matter where you go 100% like you do it with your friends and you know with motorcycling you stop after an hour you grab a coffee a burger you know you chit chat and then you come back home and it's just it's the same man we need some sort of a connection to the outdoors we can't be locked in in a concrete jungle i think i think that's not healthy uh, it's to me it, i need to get outside mm-hmm. yeah right and I like your comment about the friends there too, because you've you've been on a couple of hunts in the spring for bear with with the you know the bear camp out at my cabin there deep, and yeah. you know there's a handful of guys, and and honestly, like the, the amount of fun and the laughter that we have in that camp, I mean, it's just it's 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 great. It's like it you couldn't pay for enough therapy to no, to no. do what that that bear camp does because and it, yes the bear hunting is important it's exciting and and you know we, we always have some action and and that's always a given but i think and, and deep's at a different stage than i am but you know i the, the thing i enjoy most is just the camaraderie and the conversations we yeah. have and the laughter and the joking and the you know just this we're not thinking about our jobs or thinking about the things that we you know we have to deal with on a daily basis we're just we're just free to have fun and enjoy ourselves and and uh and each other and it's yeah i just think that that has a lot of value it, oh, 100%. it totally does and i've got i have been doing this for over 20 years now and like religiously and i can't tell you how many animals i've looked at and went that's so cool and that that have been legal to take and i never even looked at the rifle like there's a couple of stories on one campfire like that it's like oh that's a big bear yeah, that's a real big bear. Holy crap, that's a big bear. Cool. Drink our coffee and drive, <laughs> right? It's just yeah. we, we realize quickly, and I'm sure you've done it before, where you realize really, really quickly that you're not out to, to take an animal, but you're out to connect with yourself, to connect with nature, to connect with your friends, and that's 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 what camps are, and that's what hunting really is, right? Is there, you're, you're chasing an unknown, Right. And you don't know, you, you get up at four in the morning, three in the morning, whatever. And you, all you know is you're going outside and you know, you're going out to chase something and you don't know until you get out there. Yeah. Our last podcast with Eli, I think he put it really well. He said that, you, you know, at the beginning of an adventure, he said, it's, it's, it's sort of unwritten. It's, it's just, it, it hasn't happened yet. Right. So anything can happen. And, and there's this tremendous anticipation, right? Like, Cause it's, it's all unknown at that point that all the memories you're going to have haven't been made yet. And, uh, and, and uh, like he said, you know, you, you, you want to take the time before you, you, you go out on these adventures to appreciate the fact that, you know, this is just one of those situations where, you know, anything can happen. You could, you know, you could have a success, like say for hunting or many things would say hunting. Yeah. You could be successful. You could get an animal. You could, you know, things could just go perfectly or, or not. They might not go perfectly, but no matter what, you're going to have memories. You're going to have an adventure. And if you have your friends with you, you're going to have a good time. And yeah, uh, yeah it's just, just fantastic. It, 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 at the end of the day, it, it all comes down to how you measure your success of a hunt, right? Is it an animal down? Is it what you find inside yourself during that day? Or name it, right? Nobody knows, right? You measure yeah. measure the, the, the success of your hunt individually even if you're out with friends. So I've never gone home unhappy. No. And yeah, never. Yeah. It's, and you know, the drives are long and whatnot, but Hey, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And we pay for it too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The days are long. Story, yeah. Stories are great. Camaraderie, camaraderie is a bonus. And in that connection, we, we keep, circling back to that right and that's what it's yeah. all about is that connection that is your own whatever that looks like that's completely up to you so i think that's a perfect way to end it what do you think all well right. thanks deep i really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us tonight and hopefully we can do it again maybe uh, maybe after this uh, next fall or maybe after the spring i know we're going to get together for our, our uh, annual bear hunt this year we, we've missed the last couple because of covid but uh you know, we're not going to let that happen again this year. Nope. No. 
So yeah. maybe maybe after the spring bear hunt, you know, depending on how things go, we could sit down and chat again and and uh, talk about that. Yep, for sure, man. Looking yep. forward to the bear hunt. Definitely, I'm excited. A couple months. <laughs> oh, it, it's going to be good. Just just to let you know, and I think I already did deep. Like last spring, we went out and and Eli was trying to get rid of his bow and. God, we saw a lot of bears. There's just so many bears right now that I, I, no matter what, we're going to have some exciting times, no matter exactly. how things end. Awesome. Yeah, we'll awesome. see up here where I am. You can see 25 to 40 in a day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and like I said, most days we drive without even stopping. So, nice. all right. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night. We'll chat soon. You too. See you guys. Take care.